0: Hey, what's going on there, Matthew Johnson here back at it again with another episode of Dementia in Black and White. This is part three of a saga, really, as it's turning out to be. Talking about essentially having my mom in a long-term care facility, that not working out. And then the next phase of that, picking her up from there. You guessed it, COVID positive. Here we go, another episode of Dementia in Black and White. So, I got to tell you, the, the disappointment runs deep. In terms of my feelings toward the system, generally speaking. The system does not at all really help work well with, understand people with dementia. And... I am of course now finding out as I interact with the system How bad that is How deep that lack of training runs Across all fields is what I'm finding So that's what we're going to talk about this week I want to just continue along with this saga So as you know from the last two weeks And if you don't know Just go ahead and take a listen to that. I don't want to summarize that this week uh, too much other than I'll do an executive summary that mom went to an assisted living facility. It didn't work out. They said she was aggressive. I say they weren't well-trained, but in either case ended up going to pick her up. And so that's where I am picking this up from. And we're a few weeks out from there, just so you understand, the story happened this part of it on Christmas Eve is when I picked her up from the facility. And when I picked her up, just strange. Rang the doorbell, they knew I was coming, I gave them the time I was going to be there and I was there at that time, and rang the doorbell, no answer. Rang the doorbell, no answer. Ring the doorbell again and I can hear, you know, the doorbell, and I can even see some of the customers essentially of the place walking around in there. No answer. Then the fourth time it you know, after really standing outside about a minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes, so not not too long, but just odd that they wouldn't come to the door immediately, don't know what was going on. And I still don't. So I'm not going to speculate about anything. I just thought that was odd. In terms of picking her up. And when I got in. Mom just looked. She looked shook. She looked. Different. And you know. I was telling her I'm coming to get her. To pick her up. Take her home. And you know. Just in terms of an emotional. Change. Or you know. Response. Not really much there. But that's kind of. Where she is in terms of picking up context and understanding of things. And you know, gather things, got that, and then came back to gather her and get her coat on and all of that. And she looked at one of these caregivers and said to me, kinda of whispered, You need to check with her before we leave. And to myself, I'm thinking, no, we don't need to check with her. We're good. And that's what I said to her. She said, oh, no, we're okay. Everything is worked out. But just that response made me think that maybe they did something to her, like they broke her spirit in something, in some way. That's on the positive end. And who knows on the other end? And, again, I don't want to speculate because I don't want to. I'm not mentioning the name of the facility. And, again, I offer them the opportunity to come on they want to. But I don't want to put bad thoughts out there. You know, of course, I know bad things happen, happens in these places, but I don't know that that happened here. So get her in the car and it's, you know, just driving home, stop to get her something to eat, ask her if she was hungry, want to get something to eat. And she say, yes, that's a good sign that she still has her appetite. She had a little cough. She got in the car. No big deal. Stopped and got her uh, fried fish, which she just loves. She loves fried fish, ribs, kind of some of her favorite things to eat. Didn't eat much of it. Took a couple of bites, a couple of French fries. Get her home. Lethargic. Cough, getting heavier. That night did not sleep well Christmas day wakes up incontinent beds a mess vomiting fever do a COVID test positive you know all of these symptoms positive test not knowing what's going on with her. 81 years old Smoker, I of course get concerned, get her gathered up, <clears throat> go to the hospital, the emergency room. Yeah. Wow, been to the emergency room before taking one of the kids, and I do recall it was you know this long wait and all of that. But this place was just a mess. Ten hours. Ten hours in the emergency room just waiting to find out if they're going to admit her or not. And then in the waiting area, you know, I tell them when I check her in that she's tested positive for the home test. And so then they have a waiting area that's sort of cordoned off from the other people. But it's just an open area the corner of the waiting room, essentially. And so they put the people who were, I guess, COVID positive back there in that corner. There are about five people back there who I could tell were patients and three people who were with their loved one, not patients, and two people that were just there alone. It looked like one person may have been dropped off by Uber driver or something. And I got to tell you, one of the saddest things I'd ever seen is just in terms of uh, people coughing, crying, vomiting, uh, gnashing of teeth, probably. The whole thing, it, it was just bad back here. No social distancing at all. Nobody six feet apart. No real separation from the other section. There's no wall up, no glass, nothing, just chairs. You know, less than six feet apart, again, from this other section. And so I'm back there with mom trying to go to the farthest corner of the room. Really not doing much in terms of getting away from the COVID. So if you didn't have COVID and you had to take your loved one there, pretty much guarantee you're going to get COVID or something just in that waiting room for that long. And one of the people looked like they were just perhaps dropped off from a nursing home or a long-term care facility. Boy, what a horrible spot to be in. You get just dropped off there and you have to wait there like that. Just sad. And, you know, they call you up to get some vitals and take you back and then bring you back out and you do that kind of dance back and forth, three or four times. Up oh, Time to draw some blood. And now you go back out there and wait, blah, blah, blah. So they do a test, too. For COVID and it too is positive. And ultimately they decide to admit her. But I gotta tell you, just from the check-in people, in terms of the admin folks in the ER, the other, I don't know, nurses or I don't know what type of practitioners they were, but doing the vitals and that type of thing. And then when she kind of got back to a room in the ER, which is, you know, still not a hospital room, the nurse there, I just had no sense that any of them at any of those levels had really much understanding of dealing with someone with dementia, just the way in which they were approaching her and just, you know, all right, now we got to do this to you without, you know, kind of trying to speak softly or, you know, get her to just first focus and all, you know, you could just, the hospital's got to be the worst place for someone with dementia. These bright lights that are on all the time. Several different people just coming in and out. I need to get some blood. I need to take you to MRI. I need to do this, you know, just all of this these strange faces and people tugging on you. People want to do this and do that. And not at all being dementia friendly about it, right? They're just trying to do their job. And so for them, I want to offer some grace because I know that at this time, during this variant, the Omicron variant, if you're listening to this years later there's this big pandemic going on and a variant that's running rampant. And so workplaces are overwhelmed. Certainly the healthcare community is overwhelmed. No question about that. And I want to acknowledge that the work that those people do. So as I talk about this, I am talking about it from a systemic perspective that I believe the systems are not dementia friendly and they bear themselves out as you see the interactions on that personal level. But I too acknowledge and recognize that this was a time where there's just a lot going on. So in there, those 10 hours and fortunately for me, and I don't know how anyone is able to manage these types of systems without an advocate. I have a daughter, my mother's grandmother, and she, this daughter of mine, went to stay with my grandmother when she was younger, you know, for summers, and lived in the same town with her for, uh probably most of her life. I think mom moved to the state and city where I was when this one was maybe two or something like that. So they're close. My youngest daughter, both of my daughters really are close with my mother, but the youngest one is really close. And she's in medical school far along fourth year. So she has the language of the medical community. She has an understanding of Hospital. She's done a rotation in ER where we were. She's done a rotation in all the areas. She's done that part of her medical training already. So anytime I had a conversation with uh, the doctor, I had my daughter on the phone and they talked primarily, really. And it really did help. I could just tell and sense. A difference in the way that the doctor communicated with me versus the way the doctor communicated with my daughter who was speaking the doctor's language and how he took her suggestions on, you know, what should happen next and what tests should be run and all of that. So I certainly would encourage you if you have someone and it doesn't have to be somebody in pre-med or medical school, but, you know, maybe it's somebody who is just familiar with the system, familiar with the processes. And I'm talking for medical, then legal, then social worker, then caseworker, you know, all these different things to the extent you might know somebody who does this either from your church, synagogue or mosque or their community or your family. It's very helpful To have an advocate who is more intelligent about these things than you are. Because, as I said, the system was just going to chew her up and spit her out in terms of how the system does, how the system treats you, probably in general. And then that's a little worse when the person has dementia. Just because now you're almost having no advocacy for yourself, at least in your right mind, even sick in your right mind, you might be able to, you know, pay attention to what's going on and push back if things aren't going right. But if you have dementia, you just lose some of that agency, that control over yourself. And so having her as an advocate was very helpful, and I would rent her out to anybody who needs that kind of help. Just kidding. She's very busy. She couldn't do that. But that, I think, should happen. There should be a 1-800 number anyone should be able to call when you're sitting in a medical office, and the doctor or a nurse practitioner is talking about all the things that they need to do and test and they need to run, the medications they want to try and all of that in there. You know, you're talking to somebody who's a novice who doesn't know that. It's like they're speaking another language. And so just as it would be good if you're in a different country to have a translator to get around that country, it's good if you had someone who understands medical ease and medical language to get through this system. So that was very helpful for me, having my daughter kind of looking out for her grandmother. So, finally, we do get to a room. You know, so this is all Christmas Day, essentially. I finally get away from there about 3 a.m., get to bed at 4 a.m. She gets to a room, but it's just not good. She's not eating. They don't want to leave food for her because they're, Afraid she might choke because so they don't know if she knows how to swallow so they can't just have food there and you know maybe she'll eat it later because they have to be there to see her to prove that she can swallow without choking and a person with dementia they don't trust these people so you know that that is going on that is a function of what's happening And because she has COVID, they don't allow visitors, but every five days, one visitor, every five days. Again, I understand it's the system, but when you're talking about somebody with dementia not being able to see a familiar face for five days, that's tough. Not just on the family, but on the person With dementia So Tests X-rays Reveal pneumonia They have to use Restraints On her Because she is Fighting back She's doing what Someone naturally would do If someone is just Grabbing you And sticking you With needles And Putting these machines Attaching them to you The IV They were finally able to get it in. She would knock it out. So, they had to do um, restraints on her, physical restraints, tying her arms down. I gotta say, when I finally did get to go see her, it was tough. It was tough. Tough to see her in that condition from the dancing, the singing, the uplifted personality of the individual that I know and love had changed completely. Is it a function of the illness? Is it a function of the dementia? Did the change of environment cause the dementia to advance? Or, Or are we just at the time where The dementia advances. I don't know. These are all questions that I have at this point. And here five days after her being there, the doctors don't have really any idea how long she's going to be there. It's just a day-by-day situation. So, given that, I'm going to stop the story here and pick up There's More in Part 4. So, I'm going to come back next week and give the rest of the update for the hospital stay. As of this recording, she is still currently in the hospital. I'll let you know, What's been going on there. And the interactions that I've been having with the hospital staff. Again, just a hint. Get an advocate. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you tune in again next week as we continue along my journey of caring for a loved one with dementia. Until next time, that's wonderful what you're doing, taking care of your loved one, but also remember, and it's more important than the loved one care, to take care of yourself. That's of chief importance. Until next week, I'm out.